that makes a man of taste sicken in his soul. I'll tell you, friends, if you're out there in the darkness, five minutes ago, an orgy broke out here. And I'm just sorry you missed it. By the way, can't you just see now 25,000 cars heading for the village? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to once get invited to an orgy? Yeah, yeah. I'll bet you wouldn't know what to do. I can tell by the sound of your voice. You know, the voice comes out of the dark and says, yes. <laughs> uh, by the way, friends, now, before we get started here, I, I have a little clipping here that I clipped out of an electronics magazine. And uh, I would like to read it to you. It's the question and answer... They got a little department in this electronics magazine. Now, you never expect to find this kind of stuff in an electronics magazine. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a licensed ham and all that, and I read all these dull magazines. It's terrible, you know. They got a center fold-out now in QST. <laughs> That's an end gag. And uh, they've got a question and answer thing. You know, the question and answers usually run like this. Uh, when using a multiple dipole triode in an inverted feedback circuit. Uncle Tom. Well, the head of the guy, you know, it says, Uncle Tom answers your questions. And it says, uh, how do you handle the problem of a low inductance building up around R2 when C1 checks out at 5,000 volts potential? And Uncle Tom says, next question. All right, now listen to this one. Here's a question, Uncle Tom. It says, about three years ago, I took a flight that passed over northern Canada. Somewhere north of Hudson Bay, there appeared in huge letters on the ground a totally outrageous and unprintable four-letter word. <laughs> the, the flight crew told me that it's been there for years, but could offer no explanation. What's the story? And then it says, uh, name withheld. And then underneath it, here's Uncle Tom's answer. An Air Force friend told me that between 1949 and 1951, a board technician stationed at a U.S. radar installation left this monument <laughs> that neither time nor government can eradicate. Shut up, will you? There's always one. If you're quiet, you'll hear his pimples. <laughs> They're mating tonight. <laughs> Using a bulldozer abandoned by the Air Force, this radar soldier spent two years and great effort pushing boulders into this one gigantic word. <laughs> and it says it, it can be seen from over 10,000 feet high. It says, government officials have exchanged memos full of circumlocution, because no Latin equivalent of this word exists. I wonder what word it is. <laughs> right, Georgian, hawker, gricula, kunk. It says, but they failed to find a solution that would not embarrass everyone concerned. So, if life exists on other planets... This may well be the very first message received from us. 
would be true. I mean, I could see some guy in Venus, you know, they've got this 7,000-inch telescope. And that one word comes drifting out. And they spend the next 200 years translating it. And it turns out to be the Rosetta Stone of Earth. <laughs> You'll have to explain what Rosetta Stone... Rosetta Stone is not used in polishing jewelry. <laughs> well, you know, that reminds me, though, you know, uh, that, you notice it's a radar technician. It was not an infantry soldier. It was not a guy in the artillery. And why is this? Well, because two things. Being a radar technician is the world's most boring thing. And the other thing that comes into mind is being a radar technician. Everything is abstract. And so you get bored. I mean, you get bored so that you don't even bored them. You can't even believe. In fact, I was a radar technician. <laughs> oh, I can speak with authority on that, I'll tell you. And after two years of listening to that crummy radar set, you sit there in your little tent, you and Gasser, Zinsmeister, and out there in the boondocks, this thing keeps going, Aah. that's all it does, Aah. and the wind comes sighing through the dipoles. There is nothing more romantic, friends, than the sound of wind whistling through the dipoles of a 268 SCR radar, which, by the way, cost the government over $1.7 million. And is now available for twelve fifty. <laughs> In case you really want to drive your neighbors nuts, and this thing just keeps going, and it's always searching and never finding. Our radar set could not even detect its own antennas. <laughs> And see, so you know what that does. Not only is it boredom. Now, I want to tell you, wait a minute, at ease now. I'll tell you, boredom is one thing. But when boredom is coupled with eternal failure, it's something else. It's like, you know, nobody, nobody uh, can deny that washing dishes is boring. You stand there, you wash dishes, you know. Well, can you imagine what it would be like as you wash the dishes, you put them back up on the rack, and they get dirtier. I mean, instantly. Gravy gets all over them. You put it back in. You wash it. You say, I'll put them on this side. And now there's ketchup and crumbs from a meatloaf suddenly appear. Well, eternally, 10,000 years of washing dishes. And then, finally, you would be compelled to write things in four-letter words. I mean, tastefully arranging the dinner plates. <laughs> and that gives me an idea. <laughs> Hey, can't you just see old Aunt Emily? <laughs> you know, Aunt Emily who's hanging over the sink all of her life, you know, with her hair up in curlers. And she comes to the dining room door, you know, and everybody's sitting there. You know how it is always on the holidays. They're all sitting there with the papers all over. Fat, they've been drinking beer and all that. And the only one that's working is Aunt Emily, the steam coming out. And Aunt says, everybody, I've got a surprise for you. <laughs> 
And they, oh, well, let's, let's humor the old doll. And they get up, and they're tastefully arranged. <laughs> On the kitchen table is a four-letter word coupled with a three-letter word. <laughs> let's give that him a And then, then everybody says, they're all shocked. And one of them says, I never even knew she knew the word. And M says, I saw it in the subway. On my way to Macy's. I thought you'd like it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. And so, so ultimately, when you find yourself faced with this kind of boredom, you know, you have to face life for what it is. You get to see yourself for what you are. And that's the worst thing you can see. It's rotten. You try to do everything to expunge that vision from you. You spend all of your off hours buying clothes at Robert Hall. Electric blue sport coats. Yeah, and you buy yourself gray flannel suits. And yet deep down inside you know is that naked animal. That naked animal who you saw one day in the boondocks working on your radar set. And so boredom, you see, gets... By the way, speaking of Aunt M. Oh, I'm not one who looks... When I see this nice lady coming down the street, I see them all the time, you know, with the flowered dresses. And she's got the blue hair. She's got one of these net shopping bags. You know, they're always carrying shopping bags that look like they're full of bones or something, you know. <laughs> You know, these nice little ladies, you know, that when you're going for the Fifth Avenue bus, get you in the groin, you know. <laughs> oh, many's the time I've gone spinning up against the bus. You know. <laughs> and for some reason or other, I always say, excuse me. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Masochism, you know. Basic sense of guilt. Oh, yeah, I had one little old gal, I'll tell you, gave me a chop over the kidney one day. Oh, well, you know, I was just standing there reading her, her daily inquirer. It says, axe murderer slays seven, makes him into soap. I mean, just the kind of stuff you see in the Reader's Digest, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and I remember, oh, yeah, I've never, never, I had an experience one time, I'm going to tell you, that I never... To this day, whenever I see one of these nice little ladies, the Aunt Emily type, I never forget it. Because I'm in the Army one time, see? And I'm sitting in this crummy barracks. There's Gasser sitting next to me, see? We're just sitting. You can smell the butt cans. They're over there fermenting. You know, once in a while, the squawk box. We had this squawk box. And it would go, ah! And another obscenity would come out of it. You see, it connected itself with the orderly room. And, and in the orderly room, there was the first sergeant. Yes, Kowalski. And there was Lieutenant Cherry. And between the two of them, they were always cooking up these beautiful little things to say. Like, you'd hear this, ah! And we'd all cringe. The squawk box. And then it would go, gosh, they're only on a double, but I'm out. We'd sit there and look at it. 
And way down at the end, Edwards, who was the literary one of our crowd, Edwards would say some beautiful thing back to the squawk box. <laughs> it was a two-way squawk box. And then you heard, oh, shut up! <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Company K was just working away through its life. The thing came out of the squawk boxes. The following one are available for a pass over the weekend and should be prepared to pass an inspection. I know. Here are the men are you out there? Shepard, JP, Gasser, Edward G. On up, are you up? Get the pass. My God, they're springing me. Oh, I'm going to get out of this place. I get up and I, you know, I can't, you always suspect treachery. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I remember some guys, every time you'd get a pass, you know, in an outfit that don't give passes. That means they're preparing you for something. Something real good. In fact, I remember they took one group out of Company K. We got very nervous about it, see. Because early in our training, they posted on the bulletin board, the following men will have a three-day pass and will obtain transportation home. Everybody says, oh, are those guys lucky? How come they rate that? And three days after they got back, they were parachuted into Hungary. <laughs> Makes you suspicious of passes. <laughs> I mean, you know, you get real suspicious. And as far as I know, they never got back from Hungary. They're still there, hiding in the weeds. Oh, yeah, I bet there's a lot of guys hiding in weeds all over the world, you know. <laughs> They're afraid any minute. Have you read about this guy, by the way, that had the two years in the Army and he spent it at home? I wonder how many guys are still home from the Korean War. The Army has never sent them. They're hiding every day. They're going to come and get me. But I got 12 years, 15, 100 years of service in now. <laughs> well, I am sitting in the barracks one night. I'm getting a pass. So I go down to the orderly room. Me, gassers, all dressed up. We're going to go out. There's the first sergeant. Kowalski. He says, all right, you guys. Now remember, men's. When you get out of this camp, you represent Company K. Remember, men's? Company K is the best damn company in the whole damn army, right? Oh. Company K, the 362nd Airborne Mess Kit Repair Battalion. That's what we always called ourselves. I was in the handle platoon. Gasser was a cup man. I mean, you know, I mean, after all, don't laugh. The Army travels on its stomach. You see these movies, you know, and you see John Wayne jumping out of an airplane. What happens? They land. And they bust up their mess kits. Immediately after, 4,000 other guys come down. They got soldering irons, you know. Don't laugh. Being a service troop is not easy. Nobody sings songs about the Signal Corps. I mean, you always hear, off we go into the wild blue yonder. And oh, we, that would bug us in the sickle corps. 
Off we go into the wild blue yonder. And who's sitting in the back of that crummy old plane? Nine Signal Corps guys. Where are they going? They're just going to Camp Pendleton. They ain't in the wild blue yonder. Then they would sing these, you know, the infantry song, the Roger Young song. All these great things. Then, then you'd hear the caissons go rolling. The Signal Corps had no song. Until one day, <laughs> it was written by Gasser. <laughs> the best service song I ever heard. It was done to the tone of Onward Christian Soldiers. <laughs> onward, onward, Signal Corps, klutzes, onward. I can't sing the rest. Beautiful song. You know, and it got very popular in the Signal Corps, and they searched for three years trying to find a guy who wrote it. <laughs> and, you know, we'd sing it once in a while in formation there, and Lieutenant Cherry would walk around in front of us. Oh, you ought, to see, you, ought, you ought to see the look on the face of a Signal Corps first lieutenant who is from West Point. Oh, yeah, and all of his life he dreamed of leading a charge. <laughs> Well, you know, at the very least. And here he is, Company K, 3162nd Signal Airborne Mess Kit Repair Battalion. Well, so naturally, this makes him even madder about life than Captain Ahab. He's bugged. And the only thing he can take it out on, me, Gasser, Edwards. And they take it out on many different levels. I mean, the most obvious, of course, little things like KP and that, that's nothing. It's the secret ones. I go down and get my pass that night, see. Kowalski's walking around back at a desk. And have you ever been in, a, in an orderly room in a company, they've got this little swinging gate. And they've got a, a kind of counter. And back of it, over here, sits the CQ. He's the fink on duty. <laughs> Yeah, the CQ is always, the, he's the resident fink. I mean, he's one of you, you know. That son of a gun's an enlisted man. His job is to yank passes. He's sitting there, you know, he's kind of like a little low-level Eichmann. <laughs> you really want to kill him, you know. There's always a guy, he's got a big band, it's a CQ. And he's sitting there with that smug look on his face. You know, as each guy is called into the order room for another bit of obscenity, he writes it down. Kill him, you know. And here's Kowalski. Big old Kowalski walking out. He's got his sunglasses on. Where this first sergeant went through the entire war, night and day, summer and winter, total darkness. He wore Air Corps sunglasses. You know, that's those green kinds, half pulled down? It's Kowalski. He's walking around. He's all right, you guys. You got yourself a pass. Now, I don't have to tell you guys, you got to go prepared. Issue the kits. <laughs> You'll have to explain that when you get home, gang. <laughs> you see, the Army is always hopeful. <laughs> you, know, I mean, you know, and the only town that, we, that was available to us to go to was Neosho, Missouri. Neosho, Missouri, right in the heart of the Ozark foothills. This little tiny 
this little bitty fetid crossroads that had 422 army surplus stores. It had one place called the Bamboo Inn. I'll never forget the Bamboo Inn. I learned about life in the Bamboo Inn. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. And, and back, back of these places, you see, you'd go in for, for a pass into this town, and you'd see 130,000 soldiers. The town had a population of 3,700, and nothing but soldiers. And so Gasser, Edwards, and I were now in Neosho, Missouri. Big day. It's Thanksgiving weekend, just like today. Walking around. We're in town. Got my new suntans. My tie is tied. I'm prepared. <laughs> For anything. I had seen that movie. You know, and I told you to stay away from that chick. And a hundred thousand guys were looking for her now. <laughs> that movie did more for her business, I'll tell you. <laughs> so we're walking around, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is the way it is, you know, when you're a GI in town. You know, we're walking around like this, looking for something to do. And, and when everything else has failed, you go to the USO. I mean, that, that is an admission of defeat. It really is, you know, and I'm not saying anything against the USO. You can go there and write letters. And there's nothing like writing a letter on Saturday night. Very exciting. And so after two hours of walking around the Osho, Missouri, each one of us with our passes, walking back and forth, looking at the scene, we finally wind up at the USO. Me and Gasser, Edwards, we walk in. And behind the counter of the USO, they had a coffee machine. You know that kind of thing there? And there's a girl giving you free tuna salad sandwiches. We walk in. A couple of sailors. 900 PFCs sitting around. All the, uh, the, this is the, like the Sargasso Sea of all the guys that missed. <laughs> all sitting there, you know, cursing their luck. And in the back, you know, there's this tall, skinny lady who heads the Baptist choir in town. And she's playing ping pong, you know, with a staff sergeant. You know, she's great. She's got this backhand, you know. Every time she takes a shot, you can see the sweat come off her mustache. You know. <laughs> it's that kind of life. Realizing that we are about to have an educational moment, one of those true golden nuggets of life. I mean, a beautiful one, and one today that even now, three o'clock in the morning, some mornings, you know, I'm lying in the sack. I wake up and I look up at the ceiling, and I see the scene again, and I say, go, baby! Whoa! But then I wake up and I see it's New York. Nothing old New York where nothing ever happens. Well, here's what happened that night. I walk up to the counter, see? And behind the, behind the coffee machine is this nice lady. Very nice lady, you know. She flowered print dresses. I mean, strictly Montgomery Ward. I mean, you know, are, are you aware that there is a great philosophical difference 
between the Montgomery Ward crowd and the Sears Roebuck crowd? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. It's worse than the Baptists and the Methodists. And that's a good one, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I walk in and I'm, you know, I get the coffee and I'm standing there. I got my little stripe. I have just made PFC. And, you know, that's a great moment. I had my new stripes on. It's the first night I'm wearing them out in the town. And I've got these special stripes, by the way, that had gold, gold thread. And actually, it was tiny gold wire, and it was connected to batteries in my pocket. Yeah, I can light it up, you know, I'm PFC Shepherd, you know? I have risen up the command ladder, and now, after only three and a half years... <laughs> you know, it's been every inch clawed my way up. Are you aware that in the signal corps they have no rank? That, I, that believe me, in the signal corps, a staff sergeant is the equivalent of a full bird colonel in a real army outfit. In the signal corps, no, I've seen, in the signal corps, I've seen PFCs commanding a thousand guys. So, you know, there's no rank. In fact, I, one of the most chilling, one of the, one of the worst things that I always remember in the army, you never see this in movies. You know, the, the army movies are not really about the army. They're about army movies, <laughs> which is very different. Here's a typical scene in the army. 84 guys have been shipped from Camp A to Camp L. And now they've got their bags, see? And they arrive. And all of them are being shipped from hell to the inferno. They know it, see? They know that, that the place that they're going from is rotten. And deep down inside of them, there's a thing that says, wait till you get to the next one. And sure enough, they're always right. They arrive. Here's a typical army scene. You arrive, you jump off the trucks, and you all stand there, see? And you got your bags. You know, one's marked B, the other's marked A. 700 pounds of old petrified cookies. You've been carrying these cookies ever since your Aunt Glenn sent them to you. In basic. And you don't know what, you, don't, you can't throw them away, because Aunt Glenn, and now you've got them, you know. For four years, you're going to carry them. And you're standing there, you got your hats on. And out in front of you is your new first sergeant. Walks around, he says, Eddie's, put your bags down. You go, ugh. Wonder how many of you guys instinctively stand at ease in front of the boss. At ease. You're waiting to hear the good news. And it's, it's almost, it's classic. It's like a litany. He walks around. He says, all right, you guys. I don't know what kind of an outfit you come from. But I'll tell you one thing. You're in the best damn company in the whole damn army. You know, and nobody says anything. It's a litany. It's like that scene where Gary Cooper walks down that lonesome, dusty street and meets Slag Clanton. It's classic. You know what's going to happen. And you're just waiting to see how long it will take it to happen. So you're waiting. All right, men. First thing I want you to know about this outfit, if you play ball with me... I'll play ball with you. And, of course, 
Half the guys standing there are finishing the last half of it. I'll play ball with you. I'll bet. I'll bet you'll play ball with me. That's right. It's like bowling. Some guys are pins. Other guys are balls. Anybody below the rank of corporal is a pin in this outfit. Yeah, I know. So you just stand there, you see, with your suit on. Then he walks around. Here's the next movement. Then he says this. I want to tell you one thing. I want you guys to stay on the uh-uh ball. <laughs> that word will have to be filled in by Norman Mailer. <laughs> you say, I'll stay on the ball, all right. And I'll tell you another thing, men's. And I don't want nobody here to do no griping about what I'm going to say. Because if I hear one word about this subject from now until we all get blown up in Europe, <laughs> if I hear one word, I'll bust your ass <laughs> so low that becoming a private is three grades up. Now, this is classical, see. Then he says, and I don't want you to think, though, guys, that this is a tough outfit. Oh, no. Captain Quig, an old regular soldier, and all of you guys know what great soldiers the regular soldiers are. Yeah. I had a couple of them. Boy. And you're just waiting for the, the last bomb. And it always happens. He says this. Oh, and one thing. First of all, I want all you guys, immediately upon the time you're dismissed here, to go down to the supply room. I want you to draw blankets, too. One bedroll. And I don't want none of you guys stealing nothing from that supply room. Right? steal anything. Who wants any of that junk? Can you imagine a guy sneaking in at three in the morning to steal tent pegs? You should see the supplies we had in our supply room, you know, like entrenching tools. I could see me stealing a little shovel, you know, to dig a hole with, see? And all right, men, one more thing. In case there is any doubt on this subject. At ease, I said, shut up. The T.O., here it comes. Here it comes. The T.O. in this outfit is closed. There will be no rank. That means, translated from army language, you are not going to get promoted. You are forever going to be a private as long as you're in this crummy, stinking outfit. Again. Again? How am I going to do it again? I remember at the end of two years writing home to my mother. And she says right away, the first line of the letter says, How come Jack Morton is a colonel? And he's only 12. <laughs> well, he ain't in a single corps. We got guys that are over 400 years old that ain't even made corporal yet. And they're West Pointers. <laughs> oh.
So you don't change. No, no. Forever it's going to be private, Phil. But then he says, all right, men. Attention. We're standing. That's attention in single court. <laughs> kind of leaning slightly. And with the winds of adversity, you stand. Nobody's going to make a movie about you. Oh, no. Nobody's going to write a book about you. Oh, not at all. The only thing that's going to happen is that in one thing you knew in the signal corps, one thing, they always had this cheerful little sign, and it was always in the orderly room, hanging big. And by the way, are you aware of what the signal corps colors are? Well, they're a kind of orange. <laughs> you often see that same orange on the bottom of bird cages. <laughs> That's true. They used to call it chicken orange. Yeah, that's the signal corps. Did you know that every, every branch of the service has its own color? You know, the infantry is that light sky blue. The artillery is red. Very dynamic colors. Ours was that kind of chicken coop orange. It was faded. But so you'd see in that big orange thing, it says, be proud. Walk tall. You are in the Signal Corps. They had crossed flags. And underneath it, it says, Signal Corps casualties over 95%. <laughs> Be proud. That means 95 out of 100 guys in the Signal Corps get something shot off. <laughs> you always suspected what it was going to be in your case. Oh, yeah, that's the truth. 95% casualties. Have you ever wondered? No, I'm serious. Have you ever seen those big scenes, you know? Here's Gregory Peck, and he's in a hole, and he's a captain in the infantry, and he's got this telephone, and he's saying, Baker Company, Baker Company, this is Abel B. Abel B., we're now dug in on Hill 709. We need mortar fire at uh, Quadrant 17, Section Mark 9, L6, 194. 6SJ7, Abel Baker, Company B out. Have you ever wondered who put that telephone in? Before he even got there? So he could plug it in? That's right. Some poor signal corps guy crawled. He laid the wire, and then they came. Well, <laughs> that's the truth. I can remember all of us standing inspection. You know, you always see, have you ever seen guys, you see the movies, you know, where they got the rifle, and they're doing the whole bit, you know, and they throw the gun back and forth, and they snap the bolts open. Well, in Signal Corps inspections, we would all stand there like this. We would hold our wire cutters. <laughs> the first sergeant would come along, and he says, look, there's insulation on this one, clots. You catch your wire cutters. <laughs> Sorry, sir. And then they had soldering iron inspection. And then they had those other ones. <laughs> that would happen at 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, you're asleep, and all of a sudden you're... All right, you guys, fall out. Helmet liners, raincoats, GI shoes, and that's all. Fall out. Doctor will be here in a minute. Let's go. Oh, uh, you know... 
soldering iron, one minute, who knows, you know. Oh, yeah, many, many of the times, you know, I've seen, a, I've seen an old signal corps guy pick up his soldering iron. You know, he's been on a signal corps for 10 years. He picks up the soldering iron, starts to solder, and he coughs. <laughs> Either that or the soldering iron coughs. <laughs> so, you know, life, life in the signal corps is very different than life in real life. And so that night, I'll never forget, it was one of those few golden nights we're out on a town. I'm standing in the USO. Me and Gasser. Edwards. And we look around. They're all sitting around there. You know, the guys are... They're, they're writing letters home. And I go up to this lady and I say, May I have another cup of coffee? She says, Yes. This nice lady. I mean, such a nice lady. And I took the cup of coffee. And then she said to me, Young man... Would you care to spend a day with a typical Neosho family? <laughs> well, it depends on the family. You know, there are families and there are families. And she said, would you care to spend a day? She said, we have a policy here in the Neosho USO that we pick three soldiers out of every night's group and we invite them to spend the next day with a typical Neosho family. I got the coffee. I mean, you know, and the next day was Sunday in Neosho. And friends, Sunday in Neosho makes cream of wheat look like scotch whiskey. <laughs> I mean, if you ever saw Neosho on a Sunday, you know what I mean. You know, it's, oh, it's fantastic. And so I got the coffee and I figure, well, what can I lose? And so she hands me a card, and on the card is this name. And all it says is Mr. and Mrs. A.L. Abercrombie, 422 Main Street. So I say, okay, what can you lose? And I'm, I've, ever since that time, I have been glad I accepted that invitation. So that night, I go to the YMCA, I sleep the night out. The next morning I get up. I mean, that's what happens when you really miss the YMCA. So the next morning I'm out in the sun. It's hanging up there. Gasser's got his card. And he's heading off that way. I got my card, see? And I'm going along Main Street. As I go along, the houses are getting neater and neater. And they're getting more and more, you know, with the frou-frou and the little swings. And I see these, you know, these these little lilac bushes out in front of all the houses. It's real Norman Rockwell country. <laughs> I mean, you know, the real thing, you know, apple-cheeked old ladies and the whole bitsy. So I figure, well, this is really going to be a drag. I could just feel it coming. But there it is. Main Street. There's the address. And it looked like any other house. Little did I realize how like every other house it was. Up I go, knock on the door. G.I., you know. And I hear these footsteps approaching. I hear... Thum, 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 the door swings open. And I want to tell you, friends, there at the doorway was the kind of thing that you only see in the movies that run at 2 in the morning at the American Legion Hall. <laughs> woo! You know, woo! And she says, yes. 
That southern talk, yes, what can I do for you, soldier? Uh, Mrs. C.A. Abercrombie? No, that's my mother and daddy. Come right in. <laughs> so I walk into this house, and you could not believe what a classical house it was. Ferns. They had ferns growing, and you could hear the aphids. Yeah, you know, that feeling, you know, of a real itchy kind of house. And they had this overstuffed furniture, and I sit down on it, and I'm sweating. You know. Soldier. I don't know what to expect. And they had this kind of wallpaper. You know the kind of wallpaper that looks, that looks like it's crawling up towards the ceiling? You know, it's got leaves all over it, you know, and little cherubs flying, you know. It's crawling up, and I'm looking. And, it, and there was that smell. You know the smell of a grandmother house? There's a special smell. It's composed of... Uh, well, it's composed of flowered print dresses, petrified fig bars, old meat loaves, and Life Boy soap. You know, that mixture of things. And I'm sitting there waiting. And sure enough, out of the back comes Mrs. Abercrombie. And she, I'll tell you, she was so apple-cheeked, it was fantastic. She's got her hair up in little pins. She's got a little fluffy thing around the neck. She's got a lavalier hanging. And she says, We certainly want to greet you here. We're very pleased. Where did you say you were from, soldier? I'm from, uh... Where the hell am I from? <laughs> you know, in a situation like that, you even forget your name. And I'm saying, what am I doing here? This is insane. She says, would you sit down now and... Clarence will be in in just a minute. And up comes old Clarence. He's got these, he's got these suspenders. And he's got a shirt with a, with a big solid, you know, that kind of, that kind of uh, collar that has a gold button in the back. He's got a big tie, bald head. And he walks in, he says, welcome, soldier. He sits down opposite me. He says, yep, I was a soldier once. Oh, not this. <laughs> yep, I'll never forget the time when we when we went off. Yeah, how about you and me singing Mademoiselle from Armateurs? Oh. We sat for a couple of minutes, and then in came Mrs. Abercrombie, and she said to me, she says, would you like, now I don't like, just tell me if you come from a strict family. And I'm thinking of my old man. His underwear open, you know. He's hanging on the refrigerator. Saturday night, he's got five bottles of beer. I said, yes, he's very strict. The old man is very careful about what he drinks. He never drinks Presto unless he runs it through a loaf of bread. He's very careful, you know. And this, this lady said, she says... She says to me, she says, I don't want to offend you. Now, you don't have to do it if you don't like, but, but I know it's Sunday. But would you like a little glass of sherry wine? 
Well, I'm going to have to tell you a secret, friends. I was 17. I had just made the transition from Kokomol to Ovaltine. In fact, my idea of a really raunchy drink was a Coke with an aspirin in it. You know, there was a myth around when I was a kid. If you put an aspirin in a Coke, it'll get you bombed, you know. And we used to believe that it did. So I said, uh, I think I would like a little, a little glass of sherry. And she had this cut glass thing of sherry, see. She poured me a glass. I sat down and I drank it. Old Clarence is sitting opposite me. And he says to me, uh, you don't mind, soldier, as one old soldier to another. You don't mind if I have one myself? I said, no, go ahead. So he pours himself a little sherry. We sat there and drank sherry. And we drank sherry. And we drank sherry. And we drank some more. And all the while, it's getting hotter in this place. And I can't figure out why. It's getting real hot. I'm sitting there drinking the sherry. I must have drank seven glasses of sherry. And now it's beginning to drink me. You know, and I could hear the sherry down there, and it's going... Ugh. And I got this lake of this drugstore sherry. You know, and it's the kind that the minister has on Sunday. And that's the worst kind. And now we are sitting in a dinner. She takes me in, you know, they've got, they've got the typical, you know, the kind of dinner table that has, has a lace tablecloth. And they've got these dishes with little gold leaf all around them. Little painted leaves. Painted grapes on them. And, and there is, is a great big sugar bowl with grapes all over it. We sit down very politely. It's dinner time. And opposite me is old Clarence. And Clarence is beginning to act kind of funny. <laughs> Clarence says, And now I think we'll say grace. <laughs> no, I don't think we will. How about let's just dig it in? So, gee, this is, this Sunday's kind of working out. So we start digging in, and you know, they have fried chicken, southern Missouri-type fried chicken. I eat the fried chicken, and that mixes nicely with the sherry. And I can hear it <laughs> mixing with the sherry. And her fried chicken, by the way, you know the myth about how great grandmas cook fried chicken? Grandma fried her chicken in kerosene. I'm telling you, she had mashed potatoes and made library paste look like caviar. But by that time, I don't care, you know, and I'm shoveling the stuff down. And, and Clarence is sitting opposite me. And with that, in comes Granny, and she's got another great big bowl. You know, she puts down the yams. We eat the little candied yams. And she sits down now and begins to pick at her food. And I'm wondering where that chick is. All I could think of is, where is Clara Bell? Because, you know, the wine and all that, it's making me, you know, <laughs> it's hot. And, and Clarence looks across at me. I look across at Clarence. We're both looking at each other. And in the middle is Grandma. And Grandma's being very polite. And she says, by the way, one of the first things she said is, call me Emily. I said, okay, Emily. That's nice. I've always wished that I had a son. 
Yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. And now we are down to the last course, which was corn on the cob, when Emily said, and I'll always remember these words, Clarence is over here, I'm here, and Emily came out with it. She says, uh, did you enjoy the sherry? Yeah, <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> I always like a little sherry on Sundays. Yes, yeah, so do I. And then she said this. How would you like a little of the real stuff? <laughs> Emily. And Clarence says, bring it out, Em. <laughs> and she goes to the cupboard and she brings out a jug. And it's full of stuff that looks like water. Little did I realize I was about to meet my first example of Missouri white lightning. And she says, after all, you know, it is Sunday. And I'm going to have to ask you, please drink it out of your teacup. So the three of us filled up our teacups. And I tossed one off. Boy, it's down there and it hit that sherry, and boom. And I could see old Clarence, you know, he takes one. And one, one already, one, one of his suspenders is off. You know. And M says, well, here's mud in your eye. How about another one? Well, the three of us sat there for 15 minutes. Emily slipped under the table. <laughs> Clarence got up, and he said, and I, oh, I always remember Clarence for this. Clarence got up, and here I am, it's the USO. Clarence got up, and he said, I'll tell you what. He said, get up off the floor, AMU you slob, get up. <laughs> Emily gets up, you know, and her stockings are falling down. He said, come on, we're going to go for a walk. Let's leave the young people together, huh? <laughs> And with that, Clarabelle comes in, you know, and Clarabelle walks out there, and I'll tell you, she made Daisy May look like a brownie. <laughs> she walks in here, and the guy says, all right, he says, remember, it's the USO and anything for the boys. And out they go. And from that moment on, I've always loved the USO. <laughs> so let's give the USO a hand. <laughs> Come on, let's go. We'll be back next week.